0: Yeah, we just um, so for everyone that's that's coming on, we record all of these calls so that we can post it on the website. So those of folks that are busy out showing space and making deals, uh, you know, won't will have the benefit of being able to listen to it later. So uh, for any of you that are going to speak up, which I encourage all of you to do so, uh, the call is being recorded. So today's book is. Setting the Table by Danny Meyer, one of the, I think I read a quote that said he was the greatest restaurateur Manhattan has ever seen. He opened his first restaurant in 1985 with the Union Square Cafe, and um, I think everyone pretty much knows him today as the guy who started Shake Shack, which opened in 2004 and now has multiple locations um, in, in all over the U.S. and New York and all the way to Dubai. So, um, you know, more than, you know, many, many, many years in the business. And he wrote this book a few years ago. And uh, the book is Setting the Table the transforming the Transforming Power of Hospitality in Business. So I will... Out for a second and see if and, – and the other thing that I wanted to say was he has won 25 James Beard awards for his restaurant, the restaurants that he owns and runs. Uh, Shake Shack did go public, so he is still on the board, but it's a public company run by one of his former chefs and managers. And um, his – the whole philosophy of the book is – which I, I found – I found very interesting the book. I, the reason I picked it is a restaurant explosion that we are all seeing in our business. Uh, you know, we, Don and I, John Brewer, my partner in the restaurant business, and I went out to L.A. a few months ago for the entertainment and experience conference that the shopping center business put on. And there was a panel of about, I think, six developer slash landlords And they reported to the, I don't know, four or five hundred people in the audience that 10 years ago, restaurant uh, representation in shopping centers was 15 to 18 percent. And today that it's it's somewhere between 35 to 50, that some properties are pushing for 50 percent restaurant representation in shopping centers. So um, I thought, why not pick a book that you know, a restaurant owner with multiple locations. He, you know, he had an Indian restaurant that he ended up closing, I think, after nine years. Um, I went, when I was at the New York ICSE in December, a group of us went to Gramercy Tavern, which he owns because of, you know, fabulous food and fabulous um, service. So his philosophy throughout the book is it's not about what you do, but how you make the customer feel. So he's, that's, I would say, and that's, there's a lot of different definitions of hospitality in his book. And, you know, we will talk about that over the next 55 minutes. But basically the theme that runs through the book is how are you making your customers feel? You know, you can make mistakes. You know, you can drop a glass of wine, a glass of water, You can, you know, not have the table ready when they come. There's all kinds of opportunities in the restaurant world for for the customer to not be happy, but it's incumbent upon the team and the staff to make the customers feel happy when they leave, while they're there and when they leave and even beforehand. So I will just stop for one second and see if anyone wants to jump in with any other general comments before we start speaking about specifics.
1: Anybody yeah,
0: sure out there? I... To... Great. Can you go ahead? Go, oh, John.
2: Yep.
1: Yes. Yeah, uh, you know, you just touched on something that, that Danny Meyer really turned my mind around about when that's, uh, you know, you talk about spilling wine and stuff like that. He calls those opportunities because not only are they a chance to connect with the guest, but if you turn it around and, and you make things right for that person, they will actually become your biggest fan.
0: Exactly, and, and and I'm sure many of us on this call eat out a lot, or you know, and many of us on this call have experienced. You know, we we are all not. No matter if you're an investment broker or a leasing agent or an owner of properties, we read in the Wall Street Journal and every periodical in the United States every day how retail's dead. And I always try to you know tweet or comment that retail's not dead. Bad retail's dead. And, you know, how, how often do we see examples of bad retail where the clerk or the owner of the business could, could care less how we are feeling, you know, in that moment? I, I, um, one of the things that I thought was interesting in the book is he said um, that someone that – what they try to do is, is ask the customer what they want. For example, if it, sometimes if, let's say, the person doesn't like the food – you know, or they, the, the, they come to take the plate away and half the food is there. And they said, oh, did you not like it? And the person said, well, it was okay. It wasn't my favorite. That, you know, offering them something else to eat at the end of the meal is not the right response, right? It, it, it might be, you know, can we offer you a dessert? Can we offer you a glass of dessert wine or an after-dinner drink or something? But, you know, I, last night I, we were out at a – we went to um, see a play, in Fort Lauderdale, and we went to a very nice restaurant in advance. And my sister ordered scallops, and they came on a, like a bed of mashed potatoes. It didn't look appealing, and it didn't taste great. And no one came to the table. It, you know, it was very, it was a very disappointing experience. And I don't, I'm guessing, in the majority of the time, that would would not happen in a Danny Meyer restaurant. So, so his and if anyone wants to jump in, just you know, yell, and I'll stop talking. I think also, I mean, also
3: that I mean, I think he was, you know, it's experiential retail, which is very, it's kind of a relatively new term in the industry the last couple of years, give or take. I think he was, you know, the old ad is, you know, he was experiential retail before experiential retail was cool. I mean, that's kind of, he didn't maybe call it that years ago, but that's, that's basically what it was.
0: Exactly, creating the experience, right? And and, and now that has trans, transitioned into our business, which we're hearing it left and right. Uh, John did a video yesterday about dwelling time, and, and you know, I'll invite him to talk about that, But um, you know, what, what and, and I thought his statistics were, were, were right, on, right on, and he, he read something, I think, in the shopping centers today. In my small, tiny, little shopping center in Davie, 42,000 square feet, I have $8 million of sales volume at that small shopping center between the four or five restaurants and some of the retailer, retailers that report. I just spent, uh, I want to say, about $100,000 adding benches and music, thinking about if I've got that much traffic in, with all of those restaurants and those retailers, can I increase the dwell time? Because if you increase the dwell time, it adds to the sales volumes, which will add to the rent. So uh, you know, something as little, you know, sometimes people send me emails and they go, well, you know, we can't do this kind of stuff because we're not a REIT and we don't have a 400,000 square foot property. And I don't think we have to have those, right? I, I think that my small 42,000 square foot property, you know, $100,000 for me was a lot of money. I've been thinking about doing it for about three years and I finally bit the bullet, uh, the benches constantly have people in them, and, peop- and everyone has been raving about the music. So, you know, I encourage all of you. I know I have some property owners on the, on the phone that listen to these calls. So think about do you have an asset that, you know, you can experiment with to add to the experience and increase the dwell time. So, so he opens the book with the, with the one question, how did I make people feel today? And, um, you know, this week I had my Rookie to Rockstar or my Rockstar to star, star workshop, and, and the next day we went canvassing. And I heard from some of the participants that I was with this week about how prospects, you know, complain about landlord leasing agents that are very curt and quick, to, you know, to get these folks off the phone. And uh, – What I would say and what I would like to put out there is, you know, you never know who – I think some of you may know the story about Blockbuster where I completely disrespected Wayne Huizengo when he called me and said, yes, I'm going to open a a new concept, a 6,000-square-foot video store. And I I completely was curt, disrespectful, and pretty much hung up on him. And then, you know, a year later, he had 50 locations. So – if you are too busy because you're handling 50 shopping centers and you're getting 100 calls a day, then, you know, I, I implore you to go to leadership and see if you can either get an intern to help or you can lessen your load of properties. But I do think we should all be in the business of making people feel good. And if there's not in, in today's world of, you know, retail's ahead, if you've got someone calling you that wants to open you know, anything other than a vape store, um, I think that we need to take a couple extra minutes and help them, you know, because I think, A, it could turn into business for you, or, B, we're just being nice and helping people and making them feel good. Anyone have any thoughts about that?
4: Beth, I'm going to
3: challenge you on that that, that first part of the statement, Uh, Taryn, if you couldn't tell. Yeah. Yeah. what leasing agent? Just just for a productive conversation. What leasing agent
4: would give back vacancy? Who would want to give away their piece of the pie? To because mm-hmm. they have too much going on. Especially mm-hmm. a broker who. How it go? You no, know, there's plenty of brokers on here who don't have salaries to rely on.
2: They they have a. That. Uh,
0: Aaron, hold on. Whoever, someone is speaking on the phone, and we can hear a conversation. So please. Keep conversations off this call or mute your line. Thank you. Um, well, you know, look, I do a survey. I've done a survey the last two years, Aaron, on how many leases, executed leases, have been done across the country by leasing agents. Last year, the number was 16 and a half, and this year it was 17 and a half. And that, that excludes ground-up development. So let's say the rock stars out there do 25 to 30, Okay. There's there's a cap of how much you can do. I you know I don't think and 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 I know I definitely have people out there that disagree with me. But if a leasing agent has 50 shopping centers to lease, there's no way they're going to they're going to be able to handle 50 shopping centers with a ton of vacancy. There's they're not only I mean the company is leaving money on the table and value and that leasing agent is is it's almost impossible for them to return those phone calls and do a, a phenomenal job. Do you, do you disagree with me? I mean, I understand what you're saying. They don't want to give back uh, opportunity, but they should. They should so that they can do a better job. And 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 the company should not be having you know agents do 50 properties. But but I hear what you're saying that some leasing agents wouldn't give back. I, I would challenge them to, to say that they should. And they would feel better at the end of the day when they got home because they were able to respond more to the calls and, you know, not be so stressed out. What are your thoughts?
1: I don't know if that's, you can that's to disagree. Disagree.
3: I, I do agree with you, but I, I'm just saying, what would you say that to people? I mean, other than, it, it yeah, I guess the value that, that, the only value that they would get by giving back vacancy would be, quality of life, if you will, and fiduciary duty to clients and owners. But I just, I just don't how do you, how do you embark that practice for a lot of the people on the phone who, who make a living on having vacancy and not leasing it? I,
0: not so I think – I do agree with I you, but – Right. I think quality ahead. of life, but I also think excellent in job pursuit. You know, I think that they go home feeling better about a job well done versus a job not done. And the stress of it, but I you know anyone else that would like to chime in am so so that, that that's what I think and again how because do you agree that it's impossible to make people feel good today on the other those prospects that are calling in on those calls if you have fifty shopping centers that you're trying to lease oh,
4: hey Beth I, I, yeah. So I can tell you in my previous firm, I was handling somewhere around, I don't know, 20 centers, 25 centers, um, and I just could not respond. I was quick on and off the phone. It was not a matter of making somebody feel better. It was just getting data. Are you a solid lead? Okay, no, I got to go. Versus now where I have less product to lease, but I have more time to talk to somebody. In the last year or two, I've made a conscious effort hey, maybe they can't fit into my center, but let me ask some questions and see if I know of another property owner that can benefit from this call before I blast it out on the group. And maybe it doesn't lead to something for me, but it does lead to something else. And I've gotten calls months later from people, hey, I called you six months ago. You were very helpful. You know, Now my brother's doing this or I'm doing this or someone I know is doing this and we thought of you. So I know that maybe we don't see the rewards every time, but doing the right thing is always the right thing. And it will come back to you. And I think Danny Myers really laid the foundation of always doing the right thing for the customer, putting his staff first, and he's reaping the rewards, not just monetarily, but quality of life. I think as leasing agents, if we hit pause, or not pause, but slow down an extra 30 seconds to ask, you know, the two or three questions that actually care, I think all of us would see a better conversion rate for our phone calls, not just today, but maybe tomorrow. Just, just my two sure. on that.
0: Absolutely. And, and I, yeah, it, you know, doing the right thing thing. you know, I love that quote. And I think that um, asking a few more questions, you never know. You might ask two more questions and then realize, like, had I said to Wayne Heisinger, well, sir, since this is a startup, what do you do now? Which I didn't ask because I completely dismissed him. He would have said, oh, I run this company called Waste Management out of Chicago. That would have completely turned the conversation around, but I was too. Qu- I had 17 properties, and I was the quick get them off the phone, you know, leasing agent back then. Additionally, yes, the, this week also one of the big topics that came up was no. I, whenever I try to do a market study, no other bro- The brokers won't call me back. They're too busy. So I would say back to Gabe's point. If we were to be helpful and say, hey, I can't take this nail salon, I already have one, but you should call Susan across the street, or you blast it in the leads group, those agents that benefit from, those, from that extra help, which takes two seconds, um, will be more likely to call you back when you need the information for your boss or your client for the market studies. And that's what I have found. So, um, you know, what, what, what also was big in the book was instinct, and him going with his instinct, whether in picking a real estate location or not picking a real estate location, or timing. You know, he, he, he in the beginning, he was very slow in expansion. And um, in the end, with Shake Shack, he the reason that I think that he replaced himself with the CEO before he went public was because um, he felt that he was an impediment to their success because he had, was afraid of expansion, because what he saw with his dad growing up is his dad went bankrupt, bankrupt twice, and he put the um, the reason for his dad's bankruptcy was too fast expansion, and then re- he realized later that it wasn't based on the too fast expansion. It was based on the absence of good people. So, um, so instinct, what I find in our business, instinct is – very powerful. Did anyone have an have, agree or disagree or when where, when was there an example of instinct that came into play with you that worked out or didn't work out? Anybody? I I agree with you
3: Beth. I mean I think I think I've seen so many examples where I mean the the really the the top folks in real estate I think it is so much of it is instinct. I mean they're just really good at They'll look at a site and they don't even necessarily need to see the demos. They can just very instinctually, very quickly tell it's a good site. They can see the, the drivers, the traffic patterns, and they just, they just get it for lack of a better way to put it. And I, yeah, I think there are some folks that just, just a natural ability and they're really good at it and have done it for a long time too.
0: Right, right. I think experience helps add to, I think the more you do it, the better your instinct is, right?
3: hundred percent, yeah. I mean, it's just like you always talk about canvassing. I mean, nobody's really good at it to begin with. Even the folks that I would say it's instinctual, in reality it's not. They just, they, they got better and better and they've done it a lot and they've seen good sites, bad sites, what didn't work and it's in their brain as they've got a memory of what, well, this didn't work at this site and here it is at this site so they know immediately to dismiss it. So, yeah, you're probably right. It's probably more experience and remembering than truly instinct. I mean, we're not born with an ability to pick a good site. You're right.
0: Well, well, I think it, there's both both come to play, and I mean, I think when reading people as well, um, and, and again, experience comes with it. But sometimes the fast talkers, or, or you know, I need I want I want to lease this space in 24 hours, and I'm not going to mark up the lease. You know, always the red flag should um, pop up at that point and go. My instinct is telling me that this is not some someone we want to work with, or uh, sign a lease with. I mean, uh, I wish I could say to you guys, raise your hand for everyone that's going a deal, a quick deal with someone that turned out to be a bad situation. I mean, I think everyone knows my my great story of last summer where I did the bike store in four days uh, is now you know no longer a tenant of, tenant of mine, which you know breaks my heart. And um, it was funny, Gabe Navarro. Who some of you know on the call, local local real estate uh, acquisition guy, but used to be with the Navarro family of, you know, the drugstores. Uh, you know, he, he texted me while all this was going on, and I was, you know, uh, uh, putting it all out on social media. Deal done in four days, seven-store bike chain. He was like, uh, are you a little nervous about that? I said, yeah, I think it's good. Yeah, And, you know, they didn't last three months. So, um, so even 32 years into this, you know, you'll learn. And uh, I was just kind of maybe blinded by the whole Facebook prospect thing, how fast it's working. I'm, I mean, you know, I'm going to give a speech in three weeks, and this is just a great, you know, case study uh, that maybe I should have slowed down a little bit and, and my instinct should have kicked in a little more. But um, I, anyone else have a, a, have a story where your instinct kicked in and you're thinking, I shouldn't do this deal?
5: That's, this is Laura at Walbraith. Hi, Laura. I actually, hi. I, I actually just had this scenario, so it's very fresh in my mind. But, um, you know, we always say that when there are a lot of delays, it's indicative that something is wrong. Um, and, and I just had this situation with a restaurant operator, actually. Um, it was just an excuse and, and delay after delay, but telling me on the back end of every excuse that he really wants the space. He just needs to ask. He really wants the space. He just needs to y. Um And I thought I just had to try to walk away from it because even if he came back to the table today, I wouldn't move forward with him. Um, but it's, your reality, instinct. it's a yeah. bad deal. Yeah, it's a bad yeah. deal. Yeah. So sometimes as bad as you might want to lease a space or sign you know, sign that lease, it's going to be bad on the back end if, if your gut is telling you, listen to it.
0: Absolutely, thank you for that.
5: Um, so, so
0: he, for, you know, we all deal with leases, and we all know that there's, you know, 42 clauses in every lease, if not more. A very interesting, which clause for those of you that read the book was the most important clause for Danny Meyer in any lease? The first Ooh, thing I he know. made sure to uh, look
5: at, you know,
0: assignability. And uh, I think, John, did I hear John yelling in the background? Yeah. So we, uh, you know, now that we're dealing with a lot of, um, you know, we have a couple listings, you know, that's a very important clause that for us and for, you know, restaurateurs coming in that we have to pay attention to, you know, seeing what the rights are of the tenant to be able to assign or not. And um, I, frankly, me as a landlord and a leasing agent, I rarely have tenants, Bring this up, which I find fascinating. You know, many most of the times they don't adjust the assignment provision. Any, you know, anyone else? Is this unique to me, or are you guys seeing the same thing that that people aren't really addressing the assign the assignment provision?
4: Because I got to say, only on national. Go ahead. Go ahead.
1: I was going to say I liken it to a prenuptial almost. Nobody wants to talk about it when everybody's getting married and everybody's happy, but these are things you have to think about. You know what's what's going to be your exit strategy.
0: Exactly. And who else is speaking?
2: This, this is Mike Norvitz. How are you doing? Hi, Mike. Hi. So yeah, I just I you know for me I um, I'm on the landlord side and I think you know the obvious the sophisticated. Uh, entrepreneur and obviously the chain guys typically really drill down on that and that's a clause that is very important to them. And then of course, you know, if there is an assignment, usually we have in our lease that, you know, we have the right to recapture. Now they can, they can sell their business and that's always a kind of a, you know, one of those things they go, wait a minute, you know, I gotta be able to sell my business. But, you know, if it's uh, a really good restaurant that you've been going after and you've targeted, you know, my argument back to them is, hey, I really wanted a nice Italian restaurant. If you go bring in, you know, Bob's Pizza, it's not the same thing. So there should be a recapture. And then you talk about, well, who do you pay them back for TIs? And so it, it gets complicated, but for some people it's very important.
0: Right, right. For sure. I've seen it with the nationals. I just think that the locals, like I would consider in the beginning when Danny Meyer realized how important this was. What I find in leasing in leases and legal, every time someone makes a mistake in their last deal, they're highly focused on it in the next deal, right? Uh, so I'm sure we've all we've all experienced that. I think that's how uh in my in my past life with Chernova our lease went from thirty pages to probably eighty because every time we made a mistake we added a clause. So <laughs> which we then changed later on. Um, so I think that, you know, they talk about the team and relying on the team. You know, he, his focus is um, that he his team comes first, his customers come second. And I think then he says suppliers and investors last, which I'm sure for many of us on the phone, that's not always – Yeah, it's employees, guests, the community, and then the suppliers, and then the investors. So as leasing agents, there's not a lot that we can control about employees if you are not an owner of your business. But I do think that we have a lot to do – we leasing agents with our property management team and our maintenance teams. And what I would challenge you to do is have a phenomenal relationship, like as he talks about in the book, between the hostess, the waiter or waitress, the bus boys and the chefs and the, you know, cooks in the kitchen. And then, then that's a team. And I always found that as if I could bring chocolate to my property managers or thank and say hello to my maintenance men and know them by name, that if, you know, my properties always looked better or I obviously, you know, I got more attention if I needed the space cleaned or the cobwebs cleaned or a door open or, you know, whatever it is. And I find sometimes across the country that the leasing agents and the property managers don't have as close, or respectful of a relationship that I think would be helpful. Any thoughts, any comments on that? I just think that that, that is uh, an area that can be improved on all the time and that can help help your future tenants and your, and help close the deals faster. I thought, they and I think interest, inter- is... yeah.
4: Go ahead. So, this is Mike Mugger and Fulbright. I, I agree with you. Like, yeah. With our maintenance guys on site, I mean, they do a lot for us. You know, sometimes we'll open a bay and show it, and the tenant wants to hang out and walk through, and they'll close it up for us afterwards. Something as simple as just bringing the guy a sandwich, you know, when you're going for a site visit, you know, make mm-hmm. their – you know, you would never imagine something so simple, you know, makes their day, and it's a, it's a, it's a you know small little gesture does a lot. I
0: love I that agree.
4: idea. I
5: agree, like, I'm so tight with my problem with – um. All the staff on, on every one of our properties, our maintenance guys. I know like everything that's going on with them because we work we work together on the property.
0: Who is that that was just speaking?
5: Laura, sorry, it's
0: Laura. Oh, Laura, Laura again? Yes, yeah. yes, absolutely. And and I I I find that that's not the norm. So for those of you on the call, and if there's I know there's owners of shopping centers on the call, I. I, what we what what is always fun to do when I ran a big company was to have uh, employer employee switch day. You know, let the leasing agent be the property manager. Let the property manager go canvassing, and then at the end of the day, have some team building thing like you know go to an escape room or something. And I, I just think that you know the symbiotic relationship between leasing agents and property managers shouldn't be as conflicting as I see them to be across the country. Um, you know, I don't think leasing agents would like to go collect rent, and I don't think property managers would like to go canvassing. Uh, the um, And I think involving the community, you know, he's big on involving the community. For those of you that didn't read the book, or, or I don't know if I even – I'm not sure if I read it in the book or, or read it in some of the information I got um, by doing some research on him, but – how Shake Shack came to be was a hamburger stand in a park across from, I think, Mercy Tavern. So, you know, they, there, was an, there was going to be a community event in a park, and they went to Danny Meyer, and they said, is there any way that you could do a hamburger stand? And um, that turned into Shake Shack. And so being involved in the community, you know, I think and, – and, and how I can uh, – assign that to what we do is uh, you know some of you know i love pop-ups and i think that sometimes you can you can learn about an opportunity in your community to, to do a pop-up that could turn into a longer-term lease so you know whether it's doing something for not-for-profit or one of the things we're doing is we're going on instagram and trying to find influencers in zip codes like for example where that bike store moved out, I have, that center really has more vacancy than it needs to and that it should and that I wanted to. So we're trying to see if we go on social media, go on Instagram, see if there's, let's say, an artist who, you know, does paintings or sculpture or whatever, and they, um, and they have, you know, 100,000 followers in the sunrise area. And we're reaching out to those folks and saying, hey, do you want to do a gallery show? in my vacancy, and then you bring your followers, and then we'll have a professional photographer there take pictures, and then you can post it on your Instagram and, and say how great, you know, the owner of Sawgrass Commons is to have, you know, had this happen in the community. And you never know what might come out of that, you know, other some prospects that may come to the show, who then sees the other vacancies open, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, thoughts about that? community involvement and then the the, the other the suppliers are vendors so important you know i think we sometimes take for granted that our vendors and how important and i know we're not you know the property owners on the phone probably i'm talking more to you on that than the leasing agents but vendors the sign guys the roofer guys the electricians you know he he talks about how important his vendors are in having a good relationship and then the last person the last group that he's concerned about are his investors because he believes that if you are great with your employers guests communities and suppliers um, then the uh, the invest the investors will get paid you know what they need to get paid because everyone else has you know done what they're doing
2: yeah, so, Beth, um, Mike Corbet Mike Corbett again I was just I, you know that's for a, for for a property owner. We own shopping centers. We that's kind of critical. Uh, start at the beginning type of thing with the community. You know, having you know maybe go out and sponsor the local high school and and get them what they need for uniforms, or you get the local artist to take a, a vacant space. And as you mentioned, then it, it's a social media deal where you then you know they they instagram and tweet out their photos and that feeds off of that and that comes back to you and then they have a sense of community you know as we all know shopping center is all about the experience now and if they can go online versus come to your store then they'll do that but if they feel like you've reached out to them and help them they're going to feel more committed to your shopping center and you'll be become a a place in the community as opposed to just a, you know, a storefront.
0: Right, right. I, I read somewhere recently that in the, six, in the 70s when, you know, the malls were being built in, you know, suburbia of the U.S., the mall was the third place. You know, that's where the moms went, you know, the, the stay-at-home moms went and pushed their strollers. That's where the teenagers hung out on the weekends. That's where the elderly or, you know, the senior citizens did mall walking. The malls were the third place. You know now we know that Starbucks you know has become the third place and and what with me adding benches and music to my tiny little strip center, you know i want I want my center to be the third place. so uh, involving the community, I think is is something that you know some of some of us can do. Um, the uh, yeah look look I-
2: look at the public public tavern back in uh, George Washington, and you know. Yeah. Thomas Jefferson's day, right? That's where everyone hung out. They had a few beers, and that's where you, that's where the community gathered.
0: Exactly, exactly. The that what another topic that he talks about is, which I loved, which I think we we leasing agents can use, is is make choosing the words we use, very carefully. So he talks about where someone calls in and says. Can I get a table tonight? You know, at seven thirty. And he says, we say we're very careful to say eight forty. You know, I can have a table for you at eight forty-five, instead of quarter to nine. He says, um, and then he says, let me know. And they continue to talk, maybe on a different topic. And he says, I, you know, I'm fully, I'm fully um, sold out tonight. However, if you give me your name and your phone number, your cell phone, I will root for a cancellation for you. He says you want to let the caller or your guest know that you are their agent versus the gatekeeper. And I think as leasing agents, as we talked about at the beginning of the call, many times I think we can act as a gatekeeper versus an agent. What do you guys think about that? Gabe, are you still on the call? Yes, I am. What do you think about agent, being an agent for that prospect that's calling in versus being a gatekeeper?
4: I think it kind of goes hand in hand with going above and beyond and helping the call, even if it doesn't benefit you. I think there's always something that you can learn from, you know, kind of saying no to the prospect when you're canvassing, when you remove that on the calls, and you work for them instead of against them, I think the benefits are massive. What you learn, what you can pick up from them, I think it's a win-win, but it goes back to taking your time and not, like, rushing them off the call, too.
0: Right, right. I agree. Uh, He also talks about time management, and he says that when he opened I think he was talking about Grammar City, but it might have been um Union Square Cafe. I think it was Union Square Cafe. He said I he said I I became obsessed so he goes, I was a restaurateur obsessed with hospitality. However, I became an entrepreneur addicted to volume. I loved that. He goes, I was a restaurant obsessed. With hospitality, but became an entrepreneur addicted to volume. And he spoke about early on, within the first few months of Union Square Cafe, they got a great review, you know, in the New York Times, and they were inundated with customers. And instead of using, you know, appropriate time management and blocking and, you know, those you know John who's on the phone knows more about restaurants than me but it's you know pacing i think he called it pacing in the book he just tried to take more reservations than the staff could handle and then uh, and then obviously had you know a huge problem so i think that that's important again going back to what i said earlier where you know Aaron respectfully disagreed with me there's there's only so much you we as individuals can handle there's only so much tenant rep work we can do there's only so many shopping centers we can lease there's only there's only so much and do you want to be an entrepreneur addicted to volume or do you want to be a professional obsessed with service which one you know I, I know there are pros and cons to both, and you each of you in, individually and instinctually in your own heart and soul have to decide and pick which one you want is it a volume business or is it a four seasons service business and i think they each have their their benefits right but i think if you play the long game if you are 29 and you're going to be doing this for 40 more years i think you play the long game and you focus on service and building up the relationships and giving 51 versus 49 he talks about uh, 51 versus 49, going back to, you know, it's not about the technical aspect. It's more about the emotion. You know, yesterday we, we had a we, – we're working on a deal, a startup groomer deal, and I'm working on it with Kara. Some of you know, canvassing with Kara. She's been with me since October. morning She's, She's doing a great job. She loves to canvas, which, you know, is 90% of it. And um, this woman – sent us a snarky email, and as I've shared with you know, the youth around the world, they love to just email or text back, and I said, we need to, when, when a snarky email comes across our desk, the most important thing we need to do is pick up the phone and have a call so that the tone in the voice is way different when you're speaking to the person than, than in words that are typed on a screen. And in one minute, we were able to resolve four issues that were big time snarky on the email. And that I think addresses the emotional piece of our business versus the, techno- tech versus the technique. Thoughts on thoughts on that? Have, have any of you guys had experiences where you know we the, the job we do is not rocket science, right? I mean. Once you learn how to lease space, you know, three years in, now it's about improving time management, really, really, really improving relationships, right? Because the more relationships you have, the easier it is to pick up a phone. You get a new, you know, the more Italian restaurants you have in your, hopefully, CRM database, the next time your boss buys a shopping center and you have a second-gen space that you want to do a restaurant in, You you can look up in the CRM and have, okay, here's 10 guys I can call because I've built relationships with them over the years. So, but but do you all agree? Do you guys, are you seeing with, you know, I'm all about social media and I'm all about time management and texting and emailing, but nothing can take the place of voices and in-person meetings.
3: Uh, this is very one of the things I try. Getting back to your thought as far as in it relates to this volume versus in quality, almost quality versus quantity or volume versus relationships. My goal, whenever I'm working with a client, my goal is always for them to feel like they are literally my only client. The only reason I get up and come to the office that day is to, to handle affairs for them. Obviously, we're working with a lot of different deals, with a lot of different people, but I want them to feel like. There's no way they can be doing this for umpteen other people. They they don't have the time of the day. They're, they could only – I've got to be their only client.
1: <laughs> I think so it
3: just gets back to relationships and kind of that, you know, customer service and taking care of them.
0: Well, so so let me – so can I put you on the spot? Sure. Okay. So how many at one point – of so, so Barry, so those of you that don't know Barry, he's uh, one of the top investment sale brokers in this country – and I've used Barry myself for a, 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 to sell a shopping center, um, and I actually purchased a shopping center that he had listed. So I, I, I've and Barry and I have gotten close in the last few years. How many? At one point, approximately how many clients do you work with um, at a time? Approximately.
3: I'm right. I'm managing 25 deals right now.
0: Okay, so 25 active deals. And how many – I happen to know this answer, but I want yeah. the participants on the call to hear this. How many new co- or cold calls do you – is your goal every day to make?
3: Probably like 75 a day, give or take. 50, 10 so connections. My goal is 50 new connections, 50 connections a week. So Actually, talking to somebody okay. on the phone or in a meeting.
0: So 75 per day to get 50 connections. A week.
3: Right, and I, it's probably 50 to 70. In reality, it's probably, my goal would be 75. I'm trying, it's usually, I'm sitting here looking at my chart for the week. It's like 55 to 75 a day.
0: So, so some of the people on the phone right now are going, oh my gosh, how does he handle 25 active, you know, buyers and sellers or listings and make 75, 50 to 75 cold calls a day or calls a day? So what's, what's, your, how many hours do you work a day?
3: Um, probably 12 to, 13, 12 to 13, somewhere in that ballpark.
0: Okay. And, uh, I, I can tell, so, so thank you for sharing. Um, uh, so it's possible. How long have you been at that pace?
3: Uh, that, probably seven, eight years or so.
0: This is why he's one of the top investment sale brokers in the country. So, but I love. So I love that you want your 25 people to think you're the only client, that they're your only client. It goes back to something that Danny says in the book. He says, "I don't want to be the their best. I don't want to be the best restaurant in New York City. I want to be their favorite." I I loved that. I don't want to be the best. I want to be the favorite. Very interesting. I want, I want to be everyone's favorite leasing trainer coach, not the best. Then that goes back to how do you make people feel, right? Do you make them feel like they are the most important? And then as we're winding down, gosh, it went really quick today, um, how the, he talks about reading the audience. And oh, we still have 15 minutes. Okay. Reading the audience. I think this is crucially important. You know, he, he says that he tra- they train their team to look around the restaurant. If the, if the customers are looking at each other, they're good. But if they're looking around, there's a problem. And, you know, with Vegas recon coming in four weeks, I think that's something really good that we all need to be paying attention to. To. And, and, you know, and and whether it's are people looking around because they're bored and they're done with our conversation, are people looking around because they're being disrespectful, are we looking around because it, when we should be focusing and making that person feel like they're the only person in the room. But I do think eye contact and reading your audience and knowing when they want more and knowing when they want us to stop I think is a huge – And I do think that comes, again, with experience and instinct, but very important for, you know, like the carers of the world that are on the call to pay attention to and start learning because the quickest way for people to not feel like Barry says they're their only client is to be in a conversation with them at ICSE and be looking past them to see who's walking up that you want to talk to and how annoying is that. Yes. Anyone have a story
1: on that? Yeah, I can go real fast. I mean, being in the restaurant business for so long, one of the things we teach our servers and bartenders is to size up the the guests when they come in. I think Danny touched on it, too, in the book. You know, do you have a romantic couple that's uh, on their first date, or do you have a family that's together maybe celebrating a graduation? And depending on what type of guest that is, it's going to gear your type of service that's for them. You don't give the same service to every Every guest that comes into your restaurant, I think I think we could definitely take something away from that for leasing. Absolutely.
0: Uh, he he also talks about offense versus defense in the restaurant business, you know, and and, and reading the people and think and seeing like um, they were talking about, you know, if someone walks in and they're nervous, like maybe they're here for a job interview, you know, how how. The, the hostess speaks to them versus if they walk in and in the, the, they're with a group of friends and they're very lively matching or mirroring the energy of that group. And I think, uh, you know, I talk about offense versus defense a lot. Um, I believe that offense for, for us means canvassing and prospecting versus defenses, you know, returning and, and returning and taking phone calls, you know, sign calls, et cetera. So I think in sales it's very important to do to do a little bit of both. Be prepared for defense. Practice a lot, like Barry with his fifty-five to seventy-five cold calls a day. You know, offense because building the pipeline for us, you know, is everything. I think. So uh, as we wind up, it's twelve eighteen. I like, always like to finish around twelve twenty, twelve twenty-two. Um, anybody else that read the book? Has anything else to add? Um, you know, one other comment he made about Shake Shack, he said, my motto with Shake Shack when I built it was, as, as, as it became apparent that we were going to expand this concept, you know, larger than any other concept I had built over the 20 years, is he said, the, the bigger we get, the smaller we need to act. And you know I can think of many 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 companies that are are not around anymore retailers because the bigger they got the smaller they didn't act smaller right They didn't have that personal personalized customer service you know the the in the olden days, the funnel was the wide open mouth going down to the the narrow tube, and the goal is to throw is throw a bunch of crap in the top and maybe something. Will fall down through it and and that was the funnel. That was the sales funnel in today's world of disruption and you know, 100% of information available in the palm of your hand because of your phone. I believe that the funnel is upside down and it's one at a time. And I would tell you that national retailers who beg me to tell all of the leasing agents that I speak to to stop with you know, the thousand email blasts. I was at the OAC a couple months ago and there was a retail panel and one of the kids in the audience asked, said, Hey, I'm new in the business. I can't get any national retailers to call me back. You know, how, how can I get national retailers to call me back? And one guy said, if the email doesn't open with dear John, which is what, what, what his name was, I delete it. Do I miss opportunities? Probably. But he says maybe one out of a thousand email blasts are, applicable for, to me, my size, the locations I'm looking for, you know, the majority of the leasing agents out there do no due diligence on who I am or what I want. and I'm And we're all sick and tired of it. So think about the upside down funnel and, you know, doing a little bit of research, maybe doing a map of competition in the area before you send out, you know, information on your site. And if you do that, I think you'll get the response back from the national retailers a heck of a lot quicker. And then I think the last thing that I, that I wanted to bring up from the book is, he says, and this goes back to what we talked about again, experience. He said, experience trumps food every day. Experience trumps food every day. So uh, I think we can all, t- you know, utilize that lesson, whether it's us speaking to people on the phone, whether it's our property managers on site, uh, you know, whether it's bringing in pop-up stores or involving the community. So any last comments before I talk about the next book?
2: So just real quick, I I, like you guys, I came in late, so I might have missed this, but what I, I didn't read the book, but I kind of summarized it. And one of the things that stuck out was he said that hospitality is what's what someone does for you as opposed to you, and I just thought that stuck in my mind of you know the good way to kind of look at that and, and feel like, hey, they did that for me as opposed to, yeah, I went in there and I had to you know, they didn't give me my table and it, you know things that happened to you, so I, I like that.
0: Right, for you, and how it may, and yeah, that, that's fabulous, thank you, Mike, and, and not only for you, but how does it make you feel? So today, when you go out and whether you leave space or you're talking to a broker from an acquisition or you're dealing with an employee, you know how do we make the person feel after they've been, after they have um, interacted with us? How do we make them feel? So, next book. I don't know what the heck I was thinking. If any of you have gotten this, let me see. I definitely get it's 400. And 60 pages. Kill me now. But uh, it's, everyone is telling me it's phenomenal. The book is Thank You for Being Late, The An Optimistic's Guide to Thriving in the Age of Acceleration. It's Thomas L. Friedman, who is all, also the author of The World is Flat. Now, had I known he was the author of The World is Flat, I probably wouldn't have bought the book or, or put it on our list because I had a hard time getting through The World is Flat. But I'm going to listen to the audio, and since we have a seven-hour
5: flight to and
0: from Vegas in weeks, uh, if you're on my flight, you're going to see me trying to trudge through this uh, book. But everyone that I know that has read it said it's phenomenal and compelling, and something that you know people who want to improve and educate and learn should be reading. So that's you know the purpose of th- these book clubs is to open our brain and open our mind to doing different things, and again, if you all don't read it, no problem. I will, and we'll discuss it and how it applies to our business. So I hope you guys that that call will be on May 25th. It'll be the Friday after Vegas. So you know, have all your thank-you notes done before you get on the call, and I so appreciate you guys being uh, participating, and I hope you guys are getting a lot out of it, as I am for uh, coordinating it and, and speaking about it. So thanks so much, and have a fabulous weekend, and see all of you in Vegas. Thanks Thank so you much, that. Beth.
2: Bye-bye.